Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO. If you're thinking... I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the BBC Good Food Podcast with me, Tracy Ray. What is menopause? When does it start and how long does it last? Or is it something you just have to suffer through? Joining me this week is Dr. Tina Pierce, founder of the Menopause Consultancy, a specialist menopause and women's health clinic. Since qualifying as a consultant, Tina has worked in the country's leading NHS menopause clinic at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, where she has offered advice on contraception, menopause treatment and HRT. As a member of the British Menopause Society, she regularly attends meetings and offers lectures on menopause management, providing the latest information on treatments and support in the area. Hi, Tina. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tracy. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's so lovely to have you here. So I want to dive right in. And I'm so excited to talk to you about all things menopause today. And I would love to start um, for anyone listening who may not be familiar with menopause. Could you tell us a little bit about what exactly it is? Certainly. Well, menopause is something that's going to affect all women and an awful lot of men if they have partners who are women. Um, uh, it's, um, it's, it, it, basically, it's when women run out of eggs. When the ovaries run out of eggs, they stop producing estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. And these are three very important hormones in the body and therefore the effect of not having them produced anymore can be quite um, quite far-reaching and devastating to some women. 
And so you often hear when you're thinking about menopause, we hear words like uh, perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause. Could you describe some of those terms a little bit? Are there different stages to it? Is it all the menopause? Is it is it different? How does that work? Well, the true definition of the menopause is when you've had your last menstrual period and therefore it can only be a retrospective condition really because you have your last period and you don't know it's your last period <laughs> for some time until another one doesn't appear. And uh, when it hasn't happened for a year, then you are considered to be postmenopausal. However, there can be quite a build-up to this moment in time and uh, certainly women can have a premature menopause. This is when women under the age of 40 go into the menopause. And that's also known as premature ovarian insufficiency and obviously can be absolutely devastating. It occurs in about 1% of the female population and it has real implications for fertility, but also for health if you have the loss of these very protective hormones very early on in your life. So these women are much more susceptible to osteoporosis, cardiovascular, vascular disease and dementia if they have a very early or premature menopause. So premature is under the age of 40. Early menopause is considered to be the age of 40 to 45. And this occurs in about 10% of women. And it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be ignored, it should be treated because again, these women are having a very early loss of their hormones, which are very protective. And so again, they're more susceptible to those conditions. And then we have uh, the normal menopause. The average is 51 years old in this country. And then you've got the postmenopausal period is when you've had your last period and you're no longer producing any of the hormones. The perimenopausal period can last four to five years when actually the hormones are just fluctuating. So you can go into the perimenopause in your mid-early 40s and not have your last period until your early 50s. So these fluctuations are when uh, all the symptoms start and women can be very troubled by them. So in terms of signs and symptoms then? I know that obviously there's quite a span <laughs> when it comes to the kind of years that these symptoms can can happen. And I imagine depending on which stage you're experiencing, you know, your, your symptoms that maybe the signs can change a little bit. But maybe starting from premature menopause and kind of gradually um, moving towards menopause and, and postmenopause, what are the kind of signs and symptoms to look for? Well, these can be um, so varied and they can be of varying degrees of severity. So often women don't realise that they're going into the perimenopause and a lot of the symptoms are so insidious. They start slowly and they creep up on you. So women can find that they're just a bit more tired than usual. They don't sleep so well. They get a bit more irritable, uh, forgetful maybe. And they just think, well, I'm stressed. You know, um, often the men menopausal, perimenopause period in women's lives can be pretty stressful. They're often working and they have responsibilities at home as well. They have maybe teenage children, um, maybe they have elderly parents they're trying to look after as well. So there's a lot going on and it's very easy to blame how you're feeling on circumstances and think it's only temporary, it'll pass, and then realize that you've been feeling like that for three years, you know, so maybe it's time to get some help, you know. So they can vary, they're not just typically hot flushes, night sweats, all those 
those can play a very important part and a, a very prominent part for many women. It can also be palpitations, low libido, panic attacks, um, anxiety. Uh, some women describe severe and sudden anxiety and not knowing where it's coming from, suddenly becoming anxious about driving on the motorway or getting to a roundabout and thinking, I don't recognize this roundabout, where am I? And panics can set in there. They can also have um, muscle weight wasting and weaknesses, aches and pains, uh, getting up in the night to pee, itchy skin is another one that women often don't associate with the menopause. Uh, then, of course, we've got things like vaginal dryness, discomfort on intercourse, tearfulness, forgetfulness, depression, and and some dark thoughts. And you know about, um, there are 13 million women in this country who are menopausal or postmenopausal, and that's actually some 30% of the adult population. So there's an awful lot of us, and 10% of women during the perimenopause will give up work because of their symptoms, which is, you know, tragic, isn't it? Absolutely. But also you can kind of understand why listening mm. to that long list of symptoms. Yeah. As you say, all of these things are going to affect your how you uh, function as, as a mother, as a wife or a partner um, at work. You know, if you find yourself having to interact with your colleagues and you can't remember what they told you five minutes ago and you start to lose your confidence and so on. And it can be very, very debilitating. And you can understand why an awful lot of women think, I can't do this anymore. Uh, I have to give up. And also a lot of them go and see their GPs and will be offered antidepressants. Uh, I would say 80% of the women who come to our clinics are on or have been offered antidepressants when what they really need is some HRT actually to get them back on an even keel. Going to your GP is often that first point of contact when you are feeling unwell or, you know, something's going on. So what what is the conversation then? If I'm experiencing some of these symptoms, I'm going to my GP. Is that the correct person to go to talk about this? Should I be seeking help elsewhere? What should I be doing? Well, initially, it's a good thing to go and see the GP because most GPs will recognise, hopefully, what's going on. Some of them will be very well trained and interested in this um, area of medicine and will help their patients and suggest all the lifestyle changes that they could make um, and other ways of helping them. And if you feel that um, the the you require more information from another source or some more help from somewhere else, then a very good uh, way to go about that is to look for a menopause specialist because we are trained um, to a much higher degree than the GPs are in this area unless they've got a particular interest and they have become a member of the British Menopause Society, for example, and done all our training. Otherwise, they uh, we, we, ha we have more knowledge and experience and certainly much more experience generally. And so I think it would it's useful and helpful to speak to a specialist, even if you just want to get some, some general information and advice. And then uh, mo most women actually want very specific information and advice about them, how to help them through their journey. But there are, you know, there are certain things that women can do for themselves. And obviously we should all be doing these all the time. And that is to be as healthy as possible, you know, take full responsibility for your health, keep your weight where it should be, exercise, eat healthily, don't smoke, don't drink too much, uh, etc. So we should be all doing these things anyway. But then when you get to the area of 
you know, when your hormones are sort of starting to fluctuate wildly, which is what happens during the perimenopause and getting all these symptoms, then it, that's the time to go and get some help, which is more specific for, for menopausal support. So um, on the NHS, there are one or two, but not very many menopause clinics at central places like Chelsea Westminster Hospital. They're generally kept for women who have more complicated or are considered to be more you know, complicated cases. And the GP has to make the referral. Uh, they have huge waiting lists, as you can imagine, because there's too few of these services around the country. Uh, otherwise, women are left with the um, option of going to a private menopause clinic. And uh, and there are many around the country. I think it's important to do your homework because uh, they're not all the same. And you want to know that you're speaking to somebody who's going to be empathetic and actually knowledgeable and be able to help you in in your circumstances. I thought that we would jump to um, some of the common myths that we uh, hear about menopause. I'll throw some your way and we'll cover those topics as we go. Does that sound good? That's fine. Yep. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist recommended facial moisturizer brand. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I'm going to start. You you did touch on this, but just for to make it extra clear, um, something that we often hear is menopause starts when your period stops. So is this... 100% true? No. <laughs> so um, the, menopause, <laughs> okay. the menopause starts when your hormones start to fluctuate. And uh, what happens is, and as I say, this can go over four to five, six years, sometimes even longer, where women start to have fluctuating hormone levels. And the body doesn't like having suddenly high estrogen levels and then low estrogen levels. And that it's this big drop in levels or change in levels that causes the symptoms so this can go on for years and years. And the last period is when 
all of that noise is over, really, <laughs> and then you're you're left with no estrogen or very, very, very little estrogen left, etc. So that's when you need to get advice and help. Don't wait until your last period. Um, it's a myth that you can't go on HRT until you've had your last period. You certainly should, I think, consider going on it when you become perimenopausal and are having the fluctuations, because a little bit of estrogen then, together with some progesterone, if you have your uterus still, obviously, can really even out those fluctuations and give you a much, much more comfortable ride, improving your sleep, stopping palpitations, stopping the night sweats and the hot flushes, et cetera, et cetera. So it can make a huge impact, just a very small dose. The other thing to say is that women's hormones, the estrogen and uh, progesterone and the testosterone, which is very much a female hormone, we have four times more testosterone than we do estrogen in our bodies. But these hormones are very, not only do they stop you getting all these symptoms, they're very, very protective of various systems in the body. So for example, they protect having HRT and having these hormones naturally before the menopause protects you from getting osteoporosis and protects you from heart disease and furring up the arteries. Um, it also protects your uh, collagen production in your joints and in your muscles. And actually women who are postmenopausal and are not on HRT will have a 2% reduction in their muscle mass every year. So that's 20% a decade of loss of muscle mass, which is no wonder that their body shape changes and uh, and that they lose strength, their core strength reduces, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So this is, you know, this is uh, these are important hormones. And the decisions a woman makes in her perimenopause at the perimenopause are really important for not just her comfort and quality of life now, but for her health in the future. Something we often hear with menopause is that, you know, weight gain is inevitable and my body shape changed. And no matter what I do, um, I can't, you know, keep the figure that I enjoy. But even if you take kind of weight gain or or that aside, the fact of losing muscle mass, if you change nothing else, that can change your whole body shape in and of itself. So that's quite fascinating. But in terms of weight gain as well, now that we are on the topic, I would love to hear your your take on that because it's definitely something, you know, we care about how our genes fit and, and how we feel. Is that true? Is weight gain inevitable or does it not have to be? It doesn't have to be, but it is very frequent. So um, there are a few things going on. One is that as we get older, our metabolism changes and we don't need as many calories as we did when we were younger. And it's very easy to get into the habit of having about 2,000 calories a day and the, the size of the portions, et cetera, have been the same for decades for us and we've got away with it. And then as we go into our late 30s, early 40s and 50s, and so on, our metabolism does change and we don't need to have 2,000 calories a day. So then um, one has to adjust either the number of meals you're having or certainly the portions of your uh, food. 
Um, and therefore, you want to have a lower calorie intake of about 1600 calories, really, I think, to maintain a, a, a more steady weight. So that's one thing. The second thing is um, often people stop doing quite so much exercise and not being quite so active. And that's something we have to guard against and maintain good physical activity, regular exercise, um, high intensity interval training, that sort of thing to keep your cardiac health going as well. Um, you know, walking, getting out in nature, really, really important. And the third thing is our hormones will change. And as the hormones change, as your estrogen goes down or fluctuates, you can develop something called metabolic syndrome. Now, metabolic syndrome is where you put on weight around your middle, and it's also known as insulin resistance. Now, estrogen is really necessary for insulin to work properly in our cells and to be taken up by the cells to, to um, regulate our blood sugars. And if you haven't got estrogen there, then the insulin won't work so effectively. And therefore, the body keeps making more and more insulin to try and bring down and regulate the blood sugars. And that high level of insulin, this insulin resistance, will cause fat to be deposited around your middle, um, which will eventually push your blood pressure up and your risk of heart disease up, the risk of diabetes up, and pancreatic and breast cancer. So it's to be avoided as much as possible. And certainly having estrogen, HRT, reduces the incidence of metabolic syndrome and women's wastes can reappear quite dramatically when they have gone on to their HRT. So that a combination with healthy diet and exercise, good core core strength muscles, core muscles really important, you know, exercise really important. So as we're kind of speaking a little bit about weight gain, and I know that we've we've touched on diet and lifestyle a little bit, I wanted to bring you back to that point on histamine, because I think this is such a fascinating connection. And again, I know that for a lot of our audience, they might have heard of histamine as a associated with certain allergies, you know, like hay fever season and when you're sneezing and you need to grab your antihistamines. But I'd be quite surprised if if many people had heard this association between histamine and menopause. So, I mean, the myth is that histamine can play a role in menopause, but I'd love to hear your take on, on that connection. Um, yes. Yeah, so there's there's something called mast cell activation syndrome. And this is a genetic condition and it runs in families. Um, it's associated with symptoms that give rise to the diagnosis of IBS, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, post-viral um, fatigue kind of syndromes. Uh, long COVID is one that falls into that category as well. And um, also people can have chronic headaches, they can have um, urticaria, they can have rosacea, eczema, psoriasis. These are all associated with mast cell activation. Burning mouth syndrome is absolutely diagnostic of it. And this mast cell activation, as I say, is, is inherited. It's a mutation in the uh, Kitsch genes that are responsible for the formation of the mast cells. So, and it's, we actually, it's been estimated that it's about, affects about 17% of the population. So it's actually really common. And if you think about how many people you know who say, oh, I've got fibromyalgia, I've got IBS, etc., you think, yes, it is about that kind of, you know, propensity. It's really quite common. And women who have mast cell activation syndrome uh, and men, 80% of people with MCAS are women. 
80% of hypermobility of their joints, 30% will get interstitial cystitis, and they are often and usually progestogen sensitive. So they don't settle on the combined pill or the mini pill. They don't get on with those kind of oral contraceptives. And uh, it seems to go with MCAS and histamine issues that they are progestin sensitive. So when it comes to the, to the HRT, it can be a little problematic because if you have your uterus, you have to have progesterone and estrogen. You can't just have estrogen because your uterus will make a thick lining and that will cause bleeding problems and there's a very tiny risk of uh, endometrial cancer. So we have to give um, cyclical HRT with estrogen and progesterone together or continuous combined HRT, but the two hormones together, unless the woman's had a hysterectomy, of course. And so it can be tricky when you're getting somebody who's coming forward and would like to have HRT. They may not realize they have MCAS because it is um, frequently seen and seldom diagnosed. And often people have had these symptoms for decades and been never been given a diagnosis or a proper explanation about it. It's quite a newly described condition, really. And um, the other thing that happens is that if you give women HRT who have MCAS, it, it, it can increase their histamine levels. So you give them estrogen, it increases their histamine. And that will make their symptoms worse. So the IBS might get worse, fibromyalgia might get worse, they might get hot flushes, they might get palpitations, they might feel more anxious. And of course, you'll recognize now that those symptoms sound very similar to menopausal symptoms. And so the tendency then is to think, well, we need to give more estrogen. So the dose of estrogen is given is increased, and that just causes more and more symptoms. And so you go into this vicious cycle, and you really need to step back and actually say, well, no, we've got more than one thing going on here. This isn't just the perimenopause. We need to look at the person as a whole in a, in a holistic manner, which is the way you know we should all be approaching medicine really. I think it should be absolutely holistic, individualized approach and uh, and work out exactly what's going on and how to help that patient with both of those issues, which are concurrent. Am I correct in saying that then if you're someone that, say, has a history with things like urticaria or maybe seasonal allergies or eczema or any of these kind of histamine-associated conditions, that that is something you should be bringing to the table in these kind of hormonal discussions? Because, you know, when you mentioned contraception there, I'm thinking, yes, it definitely pertains to, to menopause, but no matter what stage of your kind of hormonal cycle that, that you're at, that histamine is really a conversation that should be brought to the table. It, it is quite a, a newly diagnosed condition, but it's becoming very, very important for everyone to understand and learn about because of the um, implications. Long COVID has shone a light on it, really, because so many people have had COVID and 17% of the population who have mast cell activation syndrome are therefore have this propensity to developing a post-viral fatigue kind of sim syndrome and long COVID certainly fits in with that and exacerbates all of their MCAS type symptoms. So yeah, so it's a really, it's been put on the radar, I, I, on the map really, I think, because of, of COVID. And it's, some, it's one that um, I think we all need to know about and learn about so that we can recognise it in our patients and help them. I can't believe we're almost at time already because I literally have about 10 more myths that I could run through with you. Um, 
But before we go, I mean, it's become very clear to me that diet and lifestyle absolutely plays a role um, and that, you know, histamine definitely plays a role and and menopause doesn't just start when your period stops. So a lot of these kind of common things that we hear. But I did want to just touch on HRT um, before we go, because HRT is something that you often hear. It's the only way to treat menopause symptoms, you know, HRT or nothing. What what is the deal with HRT and menopause? Is it inevitable that it's something that you go on? Is it something, you know, that it depends what your symptoms are? Um, is it something that everyone should try and see how they get on? You know, what's the conversation there? It's a very good question, Tracy, and it's not an easy one to answer. Just and a small are, one. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there are lots of different opinions about this. Um, the way that I look at it personally is that I know that estrogen is hugely protective in a woman's body. If a woman is on HRT, she can reduce her risk of osteoporosis by 70%, which is massive. Now, one in three women at the age of 80 will have osteoporosis, and this is a very debilitating and painful disease, um, which um, can result in fractures just when they turn over in bed. So severe osteoporosis, women can fracture their fingers when they're trying to open a jar. So this is something that we need to take very seriously, and it's something that's completely preventable with HRT. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the biggest killer of women is heart disease. 34% of women die from heart disease. And women who go on HRT have a 60% reduced risk of heart disease because it keeps their arteries open. And the estrogen in the artery, in the cells of the arteries, um, the cells lining the wall of the artery, keeps the arteries slippery so that the the um, endothelium doesn't become full of plaques and therefore uh, clog off. And the, when you don't have any estrogen, then the arteries start to develop plaques, as simple as that. And women on HRT have a 60% reduced risk of having heart, heart disease because of the protective effect of it. And that's not an insignificant number, especially when you consider it's the main cause of death in women. And then if you look at dementia, one in three women by the age of 80 will have dementia. And if women are on HRT, they have an up to 60% reduced risk. Some studies are saying even higher than that of having dementia. And that's massive, you know. So when I talk about women going on HRT, it's not just to give them a good quality of life now, which is hugely important, but it's also to give them a good quality of life when they're in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, so that they don't have osteoporosis or heart disease or dementia. In this country, if a woman doesn't go on HRT, she can look forward to 20.4 years on average of a chronic disease, which will be dementia, osteoporosis, heart disease, Parkinson's, um, etc. And that's no joy to spend nearly a quarter of your life with a chronic disease that could be avoidable if you had the hormones to support your system. So it is something to consider very carefully. The other thing is, of course, we talked about the muscle wasting, you know, 2% 2% per annum is not insignificant. That's 20% a decade. And um, and that will affect in, you in so many ways, in your, your balance, your strength, your ability to walk up the stairs, to get off the chair, 
to get off the toilet seat, you know, um, uh, to rebalance yourself if you lose your balance, to to recover yourself and not to fall, but also to feel confident, to feel um, that you like your body shape, that you feel good in your clothes, that you feel good in bed, whatever, you know, to to feel your, your confidence, your body, your self-image is, is important uh, in your psyche. And, um, and if you feel like you're just becoming uh, weak and frail, then that's that's not uh, that's not a good place to be. And also, bowel cancer it reduces the risk of bowel cancer by thirty percent in women. So this is an amazing protection, um, and all just by being on HRT. So I think it's a very important consideration for all women. I think they should go and have a conversation with a specialist or with their GP about uh, the benefits for them. And it's something that they should give a try to, but get the advice from the right people so that you you stand a chance of being given the right HRT and the right doses at the right time. So I'm afraid that's all we have time for, but thank you so much for taking the time to be here, uh, Dr. Piers. That was such an interesting and valuable conversation on such an important topic that, you know, so many people are experiencing um, menopause or hormonal imbalances out there. And it's really something we need to be discussing more. So um, thank you so much for that. For anyone that would like to find out more about Dr. Tina Piers, you can find all the links on our podcast page on bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the BBC Good Food Podcast. Join us on Thursday for our bonus cook-along recipe. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Music